Welcome to the Crescent Podcast. I'm Leanne. This podcast is an extension of my personal philosophy and commitment to continual growth in all areas of life. I firmly believe that optimal health comes from addressing all areas of us as human beings, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Through expert interviews, I hope to both inspire and enable you to create sustained change in your own life. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy. Well, we are back with another guest interview here on The Crescent, and today's interview is such a beautiful conversation with Nicole Akal, and we are talking all about kundalini yoga, the kundalini as a science, and then kundalini as a yoga. We talk about metaphysics and her education in metaphysics and how she brings this back into her practice and working with clients. We talk a lot about why looking at the subconscious is such an important piece of the healing journey and how she uses kundalini and raj yoga and a few other different things to help her clients get into that subconscious space, look at what limiting beliefs they may be holding on to, and then start to release those beliefs and step into new patterns. And then we talk a little bit about manifestation and how metaphysics is so deeply tied to manifestation. So we cover a lot of different things, but it was such a fun, enlightening, uplifting conversation to have with Nicole. She has such a beautiful presence and so much knowledge, but really just so much empathy, compassion, intuition. And I'm so grateful that I got to interview her and I'm so excited for you all to get to know her a little bit more as well. Nicole, welcome to the Crescent. Thank you so much. So great to be here. I'm so excited. I mean, I get so excited with everyone who comes on because I love getting to connect with new people, but I get especially excited when it's a topic that I'm not super familiar with. And we're going to talk about Kundalini. We're going to be talking about the subconscious, which is something that I do regularly within my own practice. And so many other things. But before we dive into all of that, can you give us just a little bit of whatever information you feel we should know about you before we dive into this? Sure. Yes. So I am a metaphysician and a Kundalini Tantra yoga teacher. I started studying Kundalini back in 2001. I just so happened to live across from a kundalini yoga studio. I didn't even know what kundalini was. I just wanted to go try yoga. And I ended up at this magical place, which has led me down this journey of spirituality and awakening. And I later uh, became a metaphysician. I got a degree. I got a master's degree. It's a non-secular degree. So, you know, theology, religion, spirituality, and I have been using that in my practice for the last 10 or so years. So that's my, my general background, but there's so much more I can tell you about <laughs> all of those things and what they mean and everything. That's what I'm so excited to dive into because the Kundalini I'm not familiar with at all, how that is different. But what I'm also so excited to hear is how you're using these in your practice. And so I think what would be helpful is what, what would you say is the purpose of your practice? How are you supporting your clients or the individuals that you're working with? So I have a regular daily practice that I use in the Raj Yoga, which sort of got this name Kundalini in the West, because there was a teacher that came over from India that was a part of the Raj Yoga, which basically just means royal yoga. You had to be of a royal lineage to practice the Raj Yoga. And so Kundalini itself, and I know you're probably going to ask me this and we'll, we'll elaborate, I hope, but Kundalini itself is just a science. It's just a technology of the body, but there is a specific yoga that 
we have in the West that they call Kundalini yoga. And that's part of my daily practice. So I wake up in the morning, usually before the sun comes up and I, you know, do a warm up Kriya or two, some breath work and then some chanting and set, set my space for the day and also hold space for all the women that I um, have in my group right now that are my clients. So I take it very, very seriously. It's one of those things where I show up every single day and I've been doing that for a very long time. I didn't do that when I was, was a student, like an apprentice, when I told you I found that yoga studio back in 2001. But since I became a teacher in 2011, I've definitely been doing it every single day because I learned, you know, that's really the only way that we can make sincere shifts. So, and I want to practice what I preach too, you know, and so I'm teaching women to cultivate this daily practice so they can work with the Kundalini energy, the Shakti energy. And so I have to really do that myself. I have to be that pure vessel. Oh, that's so good. Yes. Yes. And that daily tuning in, it's so easy to just want to dip our toes in, or this is what I see a lot oftentimes with clients is they do just enough to kind of make them feel like they're doing something. And it gives them kind of that pat on the back. And I get it. It's hard. And oftentimes there's layers of subconscious programming, trauma, and fear that is keeping them from diving all the way in. And I get that. And we need to kind of peel through those slowly and gently. It's not about forcing it. But absolutely, once we can get into that consistent place of showing up for ourselves, working on all these layers. Oh my gosh. The the growth that can happen and the pace at which it can happen is unbelievable. Yeah. It's the consistency, you know, and mm-hmm. I think we have to do that for, for ourselves first to really understand how important it is to cultivate that into our routine. The, the brain is not going to change if we are sporadic with it because it's a program mm-hmm. and it it's designed i know that this is this is i you know i'm familiar with your work and 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 i love your work and it and you're so spot on because it's not going to shift it's not going to change if we if we don't have that consistency and work on it for for what it is for a program for something that's basically like Plus, press play, repeat, press play, repeat. And Kundalini Yoga or the Raj Yoga is basically one of the most impactful practices that I have come across in my spiritual journey to do that effortlessly. Hmm. So explain, let's dive into that because I, the subconscious and working with the subconscious is the root of my practice. It's all about, look, we're stuck in certain patterns. We can't get past these blocks because there's some subconscious belief that really is trying to protect us from some kind of perceived threat. So the subconscious is just trying to protect us, but we want to understand what is that deeper thing? What is that deeper fear or that deeper feeling of unworthiness that's keeping us stuck here? And there's so many ways we can reprogram the subconscious. And that is sort of the journey I'm on now. The primary tool I use in my practice is the Evox therapy, which is the biofeedback and the voice mapping. But I feel like I'm kind of in a collection phase too, where I'm I'm in a somatic trauma course, learning about somatic therapy. And so anytime I hear someone talking about, yeah, here's the tool I use to help rewire that subconscious I get so excited to hear about it and just I just want to be clear too is that how is that kind of what you're working with with your clients as well is peeling back the layers of the subconscious and what's there and kundalini is one of those main tools you use to do that yes yes it is it is the main tool it's that cultivation of that daily practice there are Mm -hmm. several that I use they're all in the eastern philosophical realm a metaphysics, you know, is basically the science of that application, which we can talk about after. But Kundalini Yoga is just the practice, but Kundalini itself is this energy that lives within our bodies. And it's governed by the, our glandular system, our endocrine system, our nervous system. And so there are these portals that are commonly referred to as chakras. Everybody knows that term. I like to refer to them as portals because I feel like they are doorways into different dimensions and different 
frequencies of understanding ourselves. And so essentially, we all have Kundalini. It's not something you do, it's something that you are. And typically, when we begin on a spiritual quest, that Kundalini energy comes and wakes up from its dormant state. Kundalini actually means coiled serpent. So it, it lies dormant in the base of the spine. And typically, it's from traumatic experiences that we start to question our reality. We start to question these patterns and why we do the things that we do and who we are and what is this place that we live in and these bodies that we inhabit. And we want to explore and learn more. And so Kundalini is the science of that. It's that bridging of spirituality and that interconnectedness with our body and really learning how to detox the body, the mind with this spiritual element because you know kundalini has the feminine and it has the masculine it has the shiva and the shakti and those two sides create the kundalini coiled serpent and they come up through these energy vortexes and they're governed you know by these glandular systems and so if you have these traumatic experiences that system is all shut down and when we go in and we we start to to heal that the 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 signal that it's being sent the gland actually sends a chemical response to the brain through the nervous system so the nervous system is you know all along the spinal cord which we call that the shushimana the spiritual highway the sides of the spine so it's all these nerves that go off the sides of the spine and they're just sending messages to the brain you know, all based on our, our, how healthy our glands are, all based on our subconscious imprints, all based on our glandular function, our nervous system and our endocrine function. So it's all systematic, right? And so we, you know, the, that process is that unfolding. It is that peeling away that, that you were referring to. We're doing that whether we know it's kundalini or not, whether we're calling it kundalini or not. Subconscious work for me, technically speaking, is root chakra work. Hmm, okay. It's really that basic fundamental understanding of survival, who we are as people inhabiting these bodies on this earthly plane and cultivating that understanding so that we create that gap between the traumatic response and what we know is the aligned response of our of our nature. Hmm. you know, of our spirit. Right. Kind of like, who are we truly and deeply versus who have we become or who have we been programmed to become or imprinted on? Right. And it's sort of like that uncovering, that chiseling away at the true self. Hmm. Yeah. That, that is quintessential of, of root chakra balancing and detoxification. It's the fundamental basic part. Survival, you know, exists in that root chakra. We we think that we are, you know, operating from the ego, from the survival place because we haven't evolved spiritually since tribal times, essentially. You know? Yeah. We've, we've sort of devolved, if that's a word. We've gone back a little bit. Well, and techno te technology is responsible for a little bit of that too, I I believe. Although it's also responsible for propelling it in in the advancement as well. So, you know, it's, it's this, these perspectives, these opening of these doorways through these energetic systems that's organically happening despite the practice that we are working with, despite the hmm. process. There's a thousand ways to raise Kundalini, you know, but it does start with that trauma response, with that survival thinking. We don't need to survive. We're not going to, you know die in the winter if we don't have a man to like kill the buffalo and give us warm clothing and meat you know as women we think oh we have to get married oh we have to procreate or we have to do this we have these biological things happening in our in our body but we're modern women and in the modern world we don't need that anymore we just believe that you know and then of course we have the layers of programming from our childhood that inevitably makes us who we are you know, unless we we are working to create that space in between where we can start to get a frame of reference like, oh, right, I'm not that 
pattern that mom or dad instilled in me between the ages of one and five. I actually am my own person with my own choice. I can choose my own emotions. I can choose my own perspective of any given situation. You know, it doesn't have to be so dogmatic or, you know, based on what every single person in my ancestral line ever did, you know, and that's actually the next um, Kundalini experience, which is duality. It's that spectrum of emotion that as humans, we explore that contrast and believe it or not, there's beauty in contrast, you know, in the, in the negative, there's so much beauty in understanding those vibrational frequencies in ourselves because without that, we have no frame of reference for the positive side. And I always say when we're, when we're bringing up the Shakti energy, which is that creative energy of, of understanding this existence, we want to be in the neutral state of mind. That's actually the easiest thing to do. It's very hard to take a difficult situation and make it really positive. And mm-hmm. We wouldn't want to take a positive situation and just take on something negative to explore it. So we want to just be neutral about it. And, and we want to be in that flow. You know, um, it's, it's a part of really surrendering into what is, you know, that's Kundalini. That's mm-hmm. that Shakti creative energy. We're birthing concepts and ideas of, of who we are in our evolution, every single moment of our existence. And each each aspect of that is is equally as as dynamic as the next. And so kundalini as a science is that energy in our root chakra. Kundalini as the yoga is then helping us activate that energy. Is that how you would describe it? I would. Or how would you describe it? <laughs> I would in a sense, yes. I, I, I would say that it sustains us almost effortlessly to work through that programming, starting with that primal part of ourself. So, and then it expands from there, right? So that's just the fundamental first part, but it's the most important part. It's the most difficult part. If we can't get out of that, the, those lower three chakras, then we don't have the capacity to understand the upper chakras. We can, we can have Kundalini in them and they can bloom within those higher centers. You know, a lot of us are intuitive by birth or, you know, we have the gift of gab and we can communicate and, you know, attorneys have this gift where they can, you know, talk their way out of anything. That's, that's a, a balance within the Kundalini of that throat chakra space. And that intuition lives in the in the third eye, but it's distorted when we haven't balanced out the third lower chakras. So the the Raj Yoga, which I like to refer to it as that to kind of delineate between the science itself and this this particular kind of practice that I take on and I teach, it's that practice will it's the fastest way actually to get the kundalini up it's the fastest way from my understanding to go through these different portals and dimensions of 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 breaking down you know each one the law the element the connectivity how our body responds to it the 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 system's responses to it it's the it's the most finite way of doing that from an experiential level mm-hmm. that I know that exists today. Mm-hmm. And, and I've studied, mm-hmm. you know, I've been on this path for 20 plus years and, and it's, it's just effortless. You just show up, you put your hands a certain way, you breathe a certain pattern and you find bliss, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take 25 years you, you get that relief within, you know, that first three minutes, but consistently you'll start to see something truly shift in your being within two weeks. Like you could live with traumas for forever, your whole life, or maybe even lifetimes prior to, and then you sit and you do this thing for three minutes, 11 minutes, very short time for self-care, and your whole world is going to change. And that traumatic response isn't going to be so automatic. You'll be able to, Mm -hmm. that impulse, you know, won't be there. That's actually 
you know, what I believe Shakti is, is, is controlling that impulse. And Kundalini, remember, it's just got the two sides, the masculine and feminine. So Shakti is just that feminine side that we're all in society lacking so much right now. Hmm. So how are you using that within the broader scope of working with clients? Does it, does it kind of start out as something like when you first start working with me, I'm going to teach you this. Is it Raj or Ra Raj. yoga? With it. Raj yoga. Okay. So we kind of start there and develop that daily practice. And then does that expand into, I don't know, ever consciously thinking about how do my patterns relate back to the past when you're in that Raj yoga? Is it sort of a stillness meditation or are there things you're thinking about while you're in that? So actually we start with the subconscious and then okay. I provide, so there's 10,000 Kriyas in the Raj yoga, Kriyas and meditation, 10,000 documented from oh, wow. thousands of years. So in the course of my study and, and practice as a, as a, a student and a teacher, I have accumulated the ones that I feel like are the most potent that don't cause a lot of karmic backlash and turmoil and, and that it's soft. I like, I'm a soft teacher, gentle teacher, very feminine with the way that I want women to, to open themselves up in this way, you know, and it can be done very harshly too. Um, But I prefer to do it in this gentle way. And so we start with the subconscious and I actually do that with an an ancient Kriya from the Vedas. So Mm. it's, it's not the same thing as the Raj yoga. It's something that I learned from a Swami and he translated this for us. I call it shadow work. It's called in Sanskrit, samskara dahana. And it's a, it's a, another technology that basically we take all of the, the most painful memories that we have in our, in our experience. And we, we write them down and we relive them and we do some, some mirror work and some exploration work. We confront that person that has done this to us and, and we release it, we burn it, we, we surrender to it. So it's, it's really intense. And then but so rewarding. Like I, the transformations that I've seen women go through with 30 days of this is literally night and day. And so I lend more of the transformative work to that practice of subconscious clearing than I do the Raj yoga as far as subconscious healing. And we can't really go past anything spiritually speaking without addressing that, in my opinion. Yeah. Totally. There's just all these different layers. And what I found is when we have years and years of repressed emotion and unresolved trauma or just unresolved experiences, I don't know that I'm I'm really picky with that word trauma and how it's used. But yeah, it's like there's there's only so many places we can go. Our mind can go, spiritually we can go without clearing the way. The way that I like to say it often, an analogy I use often with clients is all that unresolved emotions and trauma and experiences, it's like there's a storm raging inside of us. And when there's a storm raging, we can't see clearly. And so as we start to work through that, it's calming that storm so that the sky's clear, that turbulence clears, and we can see things, our perception expands and access things that we really couldn't have ever accessed before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a beautiful way to work on that simultaneously is is with the Raj Yoga. So I, I marry those two things. Mm-hmm. Subconscious work, which is crucial, like you're saying, to, and that's all the, the third lower triangle, like I was, you know, I was explaining the, the root, the sacral and the navel are, is all related to the impulses of the third dimension. So 
we think things are all very physical. There's not a lot of um, malleability to our reality. We think it's, you know, just this is the way that it is. And there's not, there's not a lot I can do about it. This is what happened to me. I am, you know, I'm not causing the effect. I'm the effect of the cause. And so, you know, that's, that's this, that's this naval law here. So I, 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 I love anything to do with the, those lower triangles, any, any work to clear someone out of those patterns and programs and experiences is all spiritual it's all opening up a space for us, for the Kundalini to rise, for these mystical experiences, for us to have more peace in our life. Yeah. And so I found that using, you know, very specific breath work from the Raj Yoga lineage in simultaneously with this subconscious work has alleviated some of the uh, pressure and the anxiety that comes along with, re, you know, going through these experiences and, and dissecting them and healing them. Which is so absolutely critical. I was just talking with a client and her family the other day, and I was saying, there's going to come a day where every single therapist and psychologist and psychoanalyst is using some kind of somatic body integration technique because they're going to realize we cannot keep doing this where we just sit people down and have them talk about their trauma and then send them on their way without ever doing any kind of nervous system support, body integration, body release. Now that day might be far, far away for us, but I do think that will be a reality at some point because they just, we're going to realize how critically important that is. And that's why for me, it's such a crucial piece. You this is, we can re-traumatize ourselves. And as we bring these things up, it can be really destabilizing. And if we don't have some kind of technique, and thankfully there's many, there's many beautiful ways we can support our systems, our body, our spirits, as we go through this work to help re-stabilize us after we kind of go into that scary place, we feel unstabilized, we use these techniques to kind of ground us so that we can keep taking those next steps forward and forward. Yeah, we are, I believe, on the forefront of what Western medicine is lacking. And totally. Um, and so in dire need of, and, and perhaps it will stay like that. And, you know, but we're still, we're here and we're being birthed and born because, you know, this, this is such, it's, it's so, there's a desperation for it, you know, because this is the, that subconscious work is the epitome of what spiritual awareness is. It's, it's the, it's the basic understanding of who we are as human beings. If we do not go and delve into that space, we will never truly understand what this existence is. And then we might as well just be like little robots walking around everywhere with our cell phones. You know, we have to go back into the body. We have to feel this stuff. We have to awaken spiritually in order to, you know, bring in this new, this new um, era of, of, I say of, of the goddess, you know, because hmm. we are a masculine energy society right now. We don't have a lot of these feminine qualities and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. We have masculine qualities as women, men have feminine qualities. So it's just that it doesn't support it right now. And so I think women like yourself and, and myself, we're, whether we, you know, we, we teach it in this way or not, we're still a part of that movement. We're a part of bringing in these really important aspects of our culture that are missing, you know, mm -hmm. you, you're working with Shakti energy, you know, even if you don't use that name. Right. Right. That's the work that you're doing. Yes. It's, it's all overlapped. And I love this though, because what I say all the time is we all have different lenses and different ways that we communicate things. And right. That's kind of the verbiage and the language and the technique you use, mine might be a little bit different, but they're kind of all the same thing. And that's okay. What you know, whatever you stumbled upon or whatever you're utilizing 
is what you were kind of meant to utilize. I say it all the time, this Evox therapy and everything I'm expanding into. It's like, I, I feel that I finally found the tool I was meant to use mm -hmm. to support people's healing, which is what I felt like I had been searching for for so long. I knew I wanted to support people and help them heal and help them grow, but nothing ever clicked of like, oh, this is it. This is the thing. And so for me, it was Evox. And as I said, I'm expanding into so much more. But yes, to your point, all of us in this space, I think, are doing the same work. We might just use different words for it. Yeah. And each each of us is going to attract whoever speaks that language. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so important to have those different languages because we do speak we do connect differently. We do resonate with different things. And I say this all the time, but just because you didn't resonate with someone or a particular therapy or practice doesn't mean it's not the perfect practice for someone else. Exactly. Everyone is on their own stage of understanding yeah. too. Yeah. So I have, so I have a couple questions about the Raj still, and then I'd love to get into the metaphysics if we can. So I think because I, I like to get a clear picture and I know I have a lot of listeners who do too. So it's called Raj Yoga, but it sounds like, and I was looking at your Instagram a little bit, from what I see, it looks more like a meditation versus maybe what we would think of as yoga, which is kind of moving through all these different flows and positions. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So I think what people see as yoga is the typical vinyasa vinyasa um, vinyasa and ashtanga yoga and you know we do have kriyas where we have postures and asana that is a part of the practice all yoga was created for the brahmins the yogis to sit in meditation longer that's why it was created. <laughs> Got it. Yes. So we have Western yoga over here. Yeah, it's very Western here. And it, the, but the purpose of it is really just to ground in and meditate longer. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different Kriyas in, in the Raj Yoga. And what I love about it is that they have so many different benefits for so many different things. You know, you can, you can do a flow and it has, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 poses or asanas or postures. And, and then you could do that every day and, and you'll get your Kundalini will awaken and you'll get a healing from that and you'll feel better. And, you know, your systems will repair and you'll be in better health overall, but it's going to take you three, four or five times as long to get to the same spiritual evolution as it is if you were to do the Raj yoga for one year. You know, so com comparable to one year of Raj, as far as spiritual expansion is concerned, and to, you know, 10 years of, of just vinyasa flow. So it's very potent. The main part that I take away from it is the meditation, the meditative aspect, the breath work. But I, I still teach the Kriyas as well, because a lot of people, you know, when they first come in, if they're if they're a complete novice, they can't sit in meditation. Even if I give them something to do with their hands or, you know, something that's going to preoccupy them for the duration, it still helps so much more to move the body. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. But I'm curious, what is your take on why that is? Why initially... Is it so hard for us to sit in stillness? The, the mind, before we learn that we are not it, and that comes from spiritual maturity and kundalini awakening, takes over the system. And a lot of times we'll not stop talking. And a lot of times it's very unkind to us, depending on our upbringing because it's all repeated, redundant things that are being fed back to us. And so the, the, the brain is that ego. It's that primal part of us that's saying, 
it's not supportive. You know, it's saying everything that it would need to say to inhibit us from that expansion. That's the nature of duality. You know, we have to fight against that. We have to bridge, we have to, we have to pull away from that. So I think a lot of times is that they just hear their minds going like over and over and over again. They're just talking about what they need to do or, you know, that they're hungry or that they hate this or (laughs) that it's boring or, you know, so it's, it's, it's nervous system responses. It's, it's um, not being okay in the body. It's not understanding how the body works as a whole. You know, because I think once we get over that hump and we start to, and that's why I love meditations from the Raj Yoga, Kundalini Yoga, because it's, it works so fast. It works so fast that pretty soon you're going to see so much benefits and so much transformation from it that you know that you can attest to like, oh, I don't feel like I did when I was doing that every single day. I better go back. drastic of a difference Hmm. you know so I I think that would be my answer is just that we don't understand how important it is so we don't fight against that and and we are we're still in this belief system that we are that part of the brain that we don't have the the capacity to to be anything but that Mm -hmm. to subdue it instead of just breathe or meditate yeah, and also what else might what might come up if I do silence all this noise too. So yeah, there's layers of it. I think the nervous system is a huge part too. But what I love that you're saying is you're not over here again being this dogmatic practitioner saying, no, you need to do it right and perfect and be in stillness right from the start. You're saying we can ease into it. If they need a little bit of movement or whatever it is, we're going to give that to them. It's not about forcing something on them right away. And I think that's really, really beautiful. Yeah. And I, I've also found when within the subconscious work, it helps to show up and sit in a daily practice, whatever that looks like, you know, because the mind is healing. It's, it's quieting itself down through that process, Mm -hmm. you know, so it makes it easier inadvertently. Mm -hmm. There's so many, you know, now I think there's so many actual studies on meditation, on even just awareness. When we can bring awareness, it doesn't always need to be, I'm emptying my mind of thought, even just like I spent five minutes sensing every part of my body and tuning in or five minutes like looking at every detail on this tree that is awareness and there's so many benefits to that that can be scientifically proven which a lot of a lot of us I used to be in that place of like we have to prove it what are what's the science and now I'm much more in the duality of it of we can also just feel the benefits. And I don't need anyone to prove that to me because I feel it. Yes. Yes. I I call that the observer's perspective. And you actually just described metaphysics too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so neat. Yeah. Because the quantum field can't be measured. We, We can't measure it. I'm so glad you said this because this is something, particularly in the last few months, that has been so on my mind of studies can be wonderful. However, we're only able to measure what we know exists and what we know how to measure. And so how can we even measure this energy going on with it? Like there's so many things I think we don't even know exist and, or we don't even know how to measure. And so, yeah, I think about that all the time. So that's what metaphysics is. It's, it can only be experienced. The, The quantum field can only be experienced. So it it's only existing because it's being focused on. And so because science can't prove it, prove that beyond a thesis, beyond a theory, we have spirituality, which we study it through, through that own awake, our own awakening journey. And 
then it becomes fact for us. You know, it's, it's, it becomes our, our, our way into the multi-dimensions, into the things that we know are there, but we can't see, mm-hmm. you know, smell, taste, or touch. It's, it's, but we know that there is more. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're opening our, our, our third eye and we're opening, you know, other different sensory perceptions within, with, with the Kundalini, with these healing experiences. When did it first pique your interest, metaphysics, and how is that something you're using in your practice or, you know, with clients today? Yeah. So I actually am a self-taught metaphysician. (laughs) I I just got the degree to have some credibility. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, I, I mean, I have, my, my mind works like scientifically. Um, it's, it's similar to yours in the sense where if I don't experience it, then I'm not going to believe it. It's very difficult for me. And, you know, through my journey, I've had so many mystical experiences and, you know, I started studying Celtic wisdom, even at the age of 16, I was always on a spiritual quest always trying to understand things. I, you know, was in religion and uh, by, by, by my family, by default. And, but none of that added up, you know? And so I was like, that doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. And I, so I was constantly seeking and searching. And what I found in my spiritual quest was all these things sort of leading to one, which was my perception of it and the study of that perception within it. And so once I realized that that had a name, <laughs> which is right. part of physics, you know, the, this, the bridging of science and spirituality is, is really the essence of, of metaphysics and using mindfulness, thought, positive thought. So it's, it's basically like this whole manifestation movement that we have, although it's missing so many key components, a lot of the fad stuff out there. But essentially, that's what metaphysics is. It's, it's having an intention and and making turning that into matter through your thoughts. So when we get into the higher centers with our kundalini, you know, our vibration, whether we're thinking it or saying it, is actually sending signals to our hypothalamus, the roof of our mouth, to the, the mind, the brain, and to these glands, the pituitary and the pineal glands. And it's projecting it out from the inside through our eyeballs. So that's the Eastern version of metaphysics. But when you, when, when you just say intention and thought, so the intention is communicated through the throat chakra and the thought is formed and then you focus on it with that intention and then it brings it into physical matter. So it's it's the same sort of thing. It's just from different teachings, different, you know, um, metaphysics is very new age, like maybe since the 1960s or something like that. Whereas this Eastern, ancient Eastern philosophy has been around, you know, 20,000 plus years. Right. Same. I, yeah. Over here in the West, we we get on these bandwagons thinking that we've pioneered something new (laughs) that really has been around for so, so many generations. Yeah. But I think, tell me, tell me if this is correct. I think, is it metaphysics that explains, for example, someone pops into your mind and then two minutes later they're calling you or someone pops into your mind and then you bump into them in the grocery store and you haven't seen them for six months. It's kind of like, I've, it seems like you've picked up on something that has been projected out. Yes, I, I would say that that's synchronistic, but I, I actually just... Okay. Yeah, so I had a, a client tell me a really amazing story about how she was trying to get her husband to listen to a mantra. It's called Waheguru. And he was like, I'm not into that. You know, I don't want to listen to this mantra that you're listening to. And she wanted it so bad, so bad, so bad. And then all of a sudden they saw a license plate in front of them that had eight letters instead of the typical seven. And they were like, why is that 
vanity plate have eight letters? It's so weird. And they got up closer and it said Waheguru. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so he finally listened to the to the mantra. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I was and I was explaining to her, like, you actually, you actually did that. So the awareness doesn't necessarily need to be there. We need to, you know, get into that uh, awareness ourselves. That and ahead of it, ahead of the energy, so that it clicks for us. Yes, I did that. Yes, I made that person call. Yes, I knew that person was going to call. So it's no longer a synchronicity. But because there was, she wasn't cognizant of it. I wouldn't call that metaphysics yet. Okay. So the cognition okay. needs to be there for it to be metaphysical. So, for example, um, I used to teach people who worked at movie studios who were like the biggest skeptics in the world. And I would start with these very basic things to, to manifest with the metaphysical world. I would start with a parking space or a purple feather. And, you know, the story about the purple feather is just so phenomenal because what what are the chances of, of seeing a purple feather, you know? And so, right. but it's so easy. It's easy enough because you can picture it every single day because it's this bright color and it's a feather and, you know, so you can see it and it's clear in your mind's eye, but, but you don't actually see a purple feather, right? It's not something that you see every day. And so I love using that kind of experiment with, with skeptics. And I had this woman years ago when I first uh, started my career and I would say, all right, I know that you don't believe in any of this stuff. You think metaphysics is hokey and, you know, forget the kundalini. You didn't even bring up that term, you know, <laughs> that was not happening. So I just said, picture a feather, a purple feather every day until our next session, which was in a week. And she said, I know that's not going to happen. You know, so even, even though she was just super against it and she didn't believe it, she still showed up for herself every single day and pictured a purple feather. She came into my office and she said, well, I didn't see a purple feather. But lo and behold, she unfolded her yoga mat and inside was a tiny little purple feather. And it looked like from a boa or something like that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we just oh lost it. It was unbelievable. Yeah, she's a believer oh now. I think she even became a teacher. She, Yeah, so this is the kind of stuff. Like, this is metaphysics. It's that focus where, where we change the belief within the focus and that's metaphysics. Hmm. So you I want to go back to something you said earlier cuz this is something I wonder about often you were saying for example with the license plate she created that. When that happens, when that synchronicity happens, is it that I sensed them and their intention to call and I picked up on it or is it the other way around that I thought of them and they sensed me and then it caused them to call? So it, does that make sense? Yes, it does. And and I think my answer for that would simply be that we are all one. Okay. So, it, <laughs> so it just, you know, it just depends. And and it's like which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Mm -hmm. You know? So we that that person has their own experience, their own universe, and we have our own experience, our own universe. And sometimes those wavelengths cross if we are connected and aligned. So we can divert from or participate in the co-creative aspect of this planet. It just depends on our alignment and our capacity to understand fundamentally how that works. Yeah, because I think, and this is where it may distinguish from for example, the new age manifestation, which is like, maybe just think positive until you're blue in the face. Can you explain that a little bit? Like what there's some, there's still that uncovering, that unlayering that we need to do. But where is the distinction between, for example, this woman who didn't believe at all and still brought about this purple feather to the person who's like reading their affirmations every day and nothing's happening. Mm, yeah. So that's, blocks in the in the system so her ability to believe in the possibility of a purple feather was enough that it came into fruition 
And I think, you know, she, she trusted in me somehow, some way that the resistance of it not happening was less than it happening. So resistance repels matter from coming into fruition. It actually does the opposite. So, and that, you know, also comes from subconscious imprints that we may or may not be aware of. So if we are trying to manifest $10,000, but our mother and father were always wondering how they were going to put dinner on the table, that $10,000 is going to be diverted from that subconscious programming. It's, and it's just going to automatically, you know, the brain, the way that it fires off neurons and electrons, it's, it's through like a pattern. So you're trying to make a new pattern and you're saying, you know, I'm so happy and grateful I'm manifesting $10,000, but that pattern is so deep and so ingrained into the brain that the pathway says, that's not possible. That's not possible. That's not possible. And so it keeps going to that, that familiar pattern and program that's in the brain. So if you take something simple like a purple feather, again, not super simple. Not so so it takes the skeptic outside of their belief system because you know it exists, but it's not something that you see every single day. So there's no neuron that's connecting to the diversion. You see? Right. Got it. I, no, I think that's super helpful. And and again, it comes back to that subconscious, which for me, what I like to say is if there's something you're trying to bring about or there's a pattern you're trying to break and no matter what you do, you can't make that happen. That is such a clear sign that there's a subconscious loop, a subconscious pattern that is keeping you stuck in that place or is blocking you from getting to where you want to go. That's right. And And until we go in and address what that is, whether it's a subconscious belief around unworthiness or a subconscious belief around safety or possibility, those tend to be the three they revolve around, at least that I've seen, you're going to keep running into that wall because the subconscious is going, no, 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 we can't do that. And here's why. It's fascinating, isn't it? Oh my gosh. It's so fascinating. And I love, I feel really validated talking to you about the metaphysics because I think to your point, it's something that I sense so deeply, but I can't explain. And so I don't talk about it often because, yeah, it's like, I don't know how to explain this. It's just something, I, it's like a felt sense I'm living in and I don't know how to express it yet. So, but it feels really nice to hear you say that that kind of is the essence of metaphysics is it can't be measured. Yeah, it can't. It's totally experiential. You know, we weren't there when the lady and her husband, like, you know, we're talking about Waheguru. I mean, what are the chances of seeing Waheguru on a license plate? Literally <laughs> like one in a billion, you know? And they were just talking about it seconds before. So it's, it's, but then, you know, I'm never really going to understand. I can to try to understand. I, I've been through experiences that I, you know, have similar epiphanies as a result of, you know, but the experience is that of the beholder and that it, it's, it's quintessential to where we are in our awakening process. It is, a, it's symbolic of where we are in our awakening process. Once you get the Shakti up to the higher centers and it's, it's there, you know, she would have already known that she made the license plate appear right now. It's like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. You know? And, and, and yeah, that still happens, but less and less and less because you get ahead of the experience. So you go to the market, you know, it's Friday, everybody's getting off work. You don't want to sit in a 20 minute line. And so you imagine yourself walking straight up to the check the checkout, you know, and no line, nobody there. And lo and behold, when you arrive, that's exactly what happens. So mm. you get ahead of it. So it becomes less synchronistic and less like, oh my gosh, is that really happening? Oh my gosh, did I really do that? That's so crazy. You know, and more of, of course that I did that. Of course that's the way. And then even deeper, hmm, let me let me set out this 
this uh, scene for the, for this experience. You know, let me let me go go in and quiet myself down because I'm going to address a, a, an important subject with my partner, and I really would like us to be amicable, peaceful, loving with our communication. And and so you get clear with your intentions and you and you start to see how it sort of unfolds before your eyes exactly the way that you want. And and that's and you actually brought this up and I, I didn't comment on it, but that's the difference also when you're when you're referencing someone who's manifesting things, we don't want to come from the ego with our manifestations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, you know that, right? So and when we're doing that. Especially when, you know, we've got, we've got this mission <laughs> to, to evolve, you know, ourselves and, and, and others, and we're serving in that way, and we're coming from the ego, you know, it's, it's just not the kosher way to go about things. We're coming from the 3D, which is still the lower triangle. We want to come from this place where it's, it's exalted, you know, where we're looking out for our brothers and sisters from a place of expansion as opposed to let me get this new car, you know. Um, I think that there's there's you know leeway around that, but is it gonna be more peaceful for everyone when we are more peaceful? I think that's a good go-to thing. So yes, more yes. peaceful for me to go in the market and not have anybody there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. And no, I know exactly what you're saying. There's a really key distinction there. For some reason, what was coming to my mind is imagining like, let's say you're about to have a big speaking event and you're you're really nervous about it. So it would be so much easier if, I don't even know, like this this thing happened. But in reality, you only want that thing to happen because of your fear. Whereas the thing that's for your greatest good is if this other thing happens. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, sometimes that is... And that is so much of that subconscious work of why do I want what I think I want? Yes. Is that actually what I want and need and what is best for me? Or is that more of a protective desire or an ego desire? Yes. Yes. And and to be to be totally honest with with where I think this is going in our in our world currently is to transcend all of that, you know, and and really just come from this place of how can we make our existence more peaceful, the people around us have more peaceful existences, because none of this stuff matters. You know, it does, it comes from that ego, that survival, you know, and now we're just creating things because we want more luxury and comfort. You know, it has nothing really to do with anything but that. But where does that get us? Where does luxury and where when did luxury and comfort get anyone anywhere? You know, (laughs) as far as evolution is concerned, it just stunts us. So what we become couch potatoes, you know, and and like stare at the clouds go by. Where are we learning? We need those situations that are going to push us. But when it comes to manifestation, we definitely want to look at it from the whole collective's perspective and what's the Mm. highest and greatest good for everyone concerned. Mm. That is so good. This has been amazing, Nicole. I'm so grateful. Mm -hmm. I would love though, if you could share how others can connect with you, how they can potentially work with you. Yes. Thank you. So I have a mentorship called Wild Woman, WWMN. And I've already done my first 12 weeks. We are completing July 21st, I believe. So I'll be launching our next phase, I believe, in August. But anyone can go on and apply. I also have lots of self-guided courses. Um, some, one of them is called Sacred Portal Rituals, which goes into each chakra that we talked about today and those corresponding glands and some bath rituals and different ways to detox and journal prompts, very cool stuff. And then I also have a program for abundance where I've literally used the things that I teach in that um, and manifested 
$120,000 out of thin air. So it's a really, it's a really special program and it's very inexpensive, but my, my main program is, is the wild women mentorship. It's phenomenal. The transformations that women go through are unbelievable. They come in, you know, traumatic messes and to say the least, and, and, you know, they, they are initiated into these beautiful, Shakti goddesses. And it's such a blessing to be able to witness that transformation. It's my passion, my life. And yeah, so if anyone's feeling called to the path of Shakti, they can apply on my website. It's nicoleacall.com. And they can just go to the Wild Woman tab and, and there's an application button there. I love that. I'll make sure it's all linked in the show notes. But again, thank you so, so much. Oh, it's been so lovely getting to know you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Setting off.